Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. So I had a patient come in the other day who was having all kinds of problems with food. And uh, with that, then emotions, and with that, then also relationship difficulties. Uh, What we came to the conclusion of was that her significant other or her partner, she perceived to be a very dysfunctional relationship, which she believed that she needed to exit, but was feeling incredible guilt over leaving the person. Part of the problem was this individual really needed her. Um... To live. (laughs) It was um, overwhelming her. She was feeling as if that individual was stealing her very life from her. And after much effort to try to rebalance the relationship so it would be somewhat more mutual and reciprocal and the support and Though dependency, I believe, was okay with her. The idea that somehow too much one way and not enough the other was uh, unhealthy. And I would tend to agree with that. There needed to be some reciprocity, at least some terms of, of the uh, transaction. Uh, what each of them got in the way of either their needs or what they were looking for from the other individual. It gotten incredibly out of balance, leaning more so to, at least on her part, the emotional side. And with that, she was feeling she couldn't deliver or had delivered everything she could and that no exchange rate of reciprocity or interdependence, if you could call it that, Uh, was worth staying in the relationship. So what do you do with that? (laughs) At least that's seemingly what she was coming to therapy for. So tell me what to do with that. And I think most of us, whether we're qualified to or not, as with psychologists or psychological counselors, most of us would say, maybe you should just go ahead and leave the relationship. Now, that wasn't the advice I gave her, nor was it necessarily my final conclusion on it, uh, because it's much more complex than that, because there's this problem with food. (laughs) Um, And you can say, well, okay, what's the problem? Which I did. And she said, well, I just can't stop eating. I eat all the time, and uh, it's causing me physical health problems. I'm not what I want to be in terms of my weight or what my doctor has told me would be the ideal weight for me to be. (coughs) Excuse me. And I know in the end, it's long-term going to cause me problems. My doctor, again, has confirmed that. Not only in an immediate sense, but down the road. It's bad for my heart. There's diabetes in the family. Um, Just a lot of problems. And I need to stop. And I can't. Now, the patient, she was pretty smart, I think. Because she understood there was a correlation between all three of these things. Why? If nothing more than obviously, these were her identified problems. But she gave them to me together, all three. Uh, And in that, I believe she was beginning to understand. There may be even more so a connection between all of the relationship problems, the significant other partner problems, the feeling of exhaustion, on an emotional level, trying to take care of her partner's emotions, her inability to extract herself from the dysfunctional relationship without such the extreme of guilt that 
the moment she finally becomes seemingly determined to say it's over and to walk out, she can't. Or should there be a discussion with that? At the start, it always ended with, okay, we'll try it again. And the fact that she then would eat and eat and eat to excess, and not only quantity, but the type of foods that she ate, though were clearly of some comfort to her, could be called comfort foods, were even more so a double whammy, bad for her, too much and all the wrong kind. And she was in a conundrum. (laughs) How do you fix that? Again, most people would say, obviously, just even with the food part. Get out of the relationship. You know you need to. You know it's not going to get better. You know this other individual isn't going to change after all this attempt. And she did. She put a lot of energy, I thought, best I could assess or be in a position to make some assessment. She did her due diligence. She tried very hard to help, assist. It had been over an extended period of time. It wasn't a, I'm going to quit the first kind of obvious sort of awareness. No, she kept going back as the point would be and working on this. And felt it her moral obligation, <laughs> probably as it would get to guilt, as much anything pragmatic, that she stay. It's a commitment. You make commitments, you don't break them. There were extenuating or circumstances in an extenuating way outside the abnormal. In her childhood, that probably just emphasized the need to not abandon the concerns over attachment and staying connected. Uh, come from a divorced home, separation. It was very difficult for her. She was splitting time between her father and her mother, and it was just very complicated. So there's a good foundational basis for all of this. And even the comfort, the eating for comfort, that's how her mom coped, was to feed her. To, in that way, though quite appropriate for a mother-child maternal relationship with a child to make sure that there was good food there, nurturance, or maybe even the indulgence of uh, foods that weren't always the best but made you feel good. Uh, There was nothing wrong with that. It was associated with love, nurturance being love, and then emotional supports. But now, when it comes to separation... Not only is it something that's confusing because of the way her mom and dad chose to handle their disagreements to the extent that they became divorced. Uh, She was struggling with that with this significant other. But I think she was struggling with herself on knowing what it's like to experience that. Uh, But also her relationship with her mom was compensating in that way, at least my opinion, as she was growing up. Well, you certainly can't abandon your person. And her mom had become her person. Almost to the extent that I don't know that she ever really managed those feelings or addressed those feelings in a way of learning to manage them. Uh, To understand them, obviously, in a way that wouldn't create future problems. So for me, (laughs) it's that individual she was coming to to assist her I couldn't figure out what to do with that. At least it wasn't an easy read. I I knew it was not right to tell her to leave her significant other. I also knew it was right to tell her that that probably had something to do with her eating, but that she should then stop in terms of eating too much and the wrong things. And that really she needed to learn how to deal with her own emotions, particularly the guilt feelings, the fear of abandonment, all those attachments sort of, as we we call them psychologically, as issues and difficulties. But I couldn't figure out what complicated it was. It not that the advice, or at least the boundaries that I was going to begin with in, in working with this person weren't at least clear enough to me in terms of treatment strategy or theory, how we were going to approach it. 
But I couldn't figure out what she wanted me to be if she wanted me to just be that person who emotionally supported her. And with that, then as much as I might offer some advice on ways to establish more independence or autonomy, or maybe just in a very literal way, some communication techniques to remain assertive, to avoid passive-aggressive sort of aspects of communication where she might then not say something but want to say something and then in a passive-aggressive way that would always render her in a worse place than what she began with because the problem would never be solved and then not dealing with it I think again could be said to be a contributing factor to all the eating disorder stuff as well as just continuing to subject yourself in a self-destructive way to a very, very negative relationship of dependency. And then there's always those questions too, at least what was going through my mind was, did she really want to be with her mom? Somebody who would take care of all of her emotional needs. And maybe her partner was just at a point where he was overwhelmed. He did not know what to say. Or maybe he was quite satisfied with her compensating or managing all her problems emotionally and dependency issues herself as played out in the relationship with him. There's always two sides to the story. Maybe he was quite satisfied with her overeating. Needless to say... How was I to present that in some pragmatic sort of terms and not engender resistance? Or with that, then place the patient in a position where they were not going to be able to handle the emotions. Uh, Maybe they just wanted support from me. Maybe they didn't want direct advice. What was the best way to combine those two things? Now, I am at a stage in that treatment with this particular patient. I'm at a point, a stage in the therapeutic process, where we're considering whether to bring the significant other, the partner, in. And I would want to do that possibly to gain more information, maybe just to get their perspective on it, more information, Different perspectives, that's not bad. It's empirically sound. It's good research methodology. Helps me to see it more clearly. And hopefully with that more objectively. I'm a bit biased by not having that input. And I'm just listening to her. And she's a good informant. And I don't think she's trying to misrepresent any data. uh, Or offer such a distorted perspective that she's not open to other perspectives. But also I'm thinking maybe I could help the two of them figure out some way to resolve this and maybe the relationship could be salvaged. Maybe it doesn't have to end up like her childhood experience was with her mom and dad as she watched that and then also as a participant primary, but in a secondhand sort of way. Secondarily, she was modeled some really not so adaptive, maybe coping strategies. I'm not saying all relationships can't be or can't be reconciled or can be redeemed, so to speak, or that there isn't such a thing as irreconcilable differences. But these are the kind of things that get in the way of that. You can point to things like how people handle money or how people handle food or how people talk about their feelings There's really, again, very literal sort of outward manifestations of the problems, relationship problems. But usually it's these type of dynamics. For lack of, again, any better way to describe them, I'll use a more traditional sort of way of descriptor, way of describing. Psychodynamic sort of elements when it has to do with love and attachment and abandonment and relationships and... Somebody who can then otherwise represent some objectivity, some healthier standard, not only practically, pragmatically, but even so conceptually, how all this kind of fits together, kind of refine that correlation the patient brought in of the three component parts, and maybe we can find a super solution. You know, where they can work together and continue to grow. I mean, that would be my aspiration and ideal, and maybe this might be one of them. We've not gotten there yet. I'm hoping to, 
but we've not gotten there yet. But I was reading an article in Psychology Today that made me think of all this, and I wanted to share it with you on the podcast. It's entitled, I'm Your Partner and I'm Here to Help. And it was written by Dave Smolin, Ph.D., And it is in the February 2023 edition of Psychology Today. And Dave Smolin is a research psychologist in community faculty at Metropolitan State University. I'm your partner, and I'm here to help. One of the major roles relationship partners play in each other's lives is providing support. And the quality of that support affects their satisfaction and personal well-being. Couples aid each other in a range of ways from helping with household tasks to cheering each other toward personal goals to just being there with an ear to listen and a shoulder to cry on. Researchers commonly classify support within a relationship into three categories. There's emotional support, which is concern, empathy, love, or encouragement. Tangible support such as help with tasks like cooking or managing finances, and informational support, sharing news, facts, or advice. Unfortunately, couples often run into a mismatch between the support one partner seeks and the type the other offers in response. When couples aren't able to find their way from such mismatches to alignment, they can miss opportunities to connect. One classic mismatch occurs when a partner shares something causing stress, sadness, or frustration, and the other responds by jumping in to fix the problem or offering suggestions to that end. When someone opens up to a partner about their challenges, such as by venting about issues they are dealing with at work, they are often seeking emotional support to be heard and shown compassion in their present struggle rather than soliciting advice or assistance. If their partner instead turns the conversation to fixing the issues through tangible or informational support, they may feel emotionally invalidated and more stressed. At the same time, the partner trying to offer the particular type of support may feel confused, frustrated, or rejected. In their eyes, a valid bid to help was poorly received. As this push and pull plays out, a couple can fall into conflict and each upset that the other doesn't understand them. When a partner reaches out to you for emotional support, it may not always seem so, but it's actually a very practical task or ask. Even if all they want in the moment is to share their feelings and connect and find comfort with someone who cares about their ups and downs. Supporting them in processing their anger, comforting their sadness, or regulating their anxiety is constructive because it helps them shift into an emotional state in which they feel grounded enough to respond to their own struggle. Conversely, some partners are less comfortable receiving emotional support and prefer tangible help when they feel stressed, when they have a pressing need for information, advice, or hands-on help, their partner's emotional support may feel beside the point. Considering the many possible feelings and needs at play in any given moment, it would certainly be useful for couples to make time with each other to talk about the kinds of support that best fits certain situations. Being clear about the type of support you are seeking helps a partner better show up for you. No matter how well couples know each other, they can't read each other's minds, so be specific about what you want from your partner when you reach out. Perhaps you could use a hug or emotional validation, or maybe you want their advice. And when your partner comes to you for support, first ask what kind of help would be most welcome. Or just start by expressing empathy and then check in to see if they also feel they need either informational or tangible aid. Showing that you understand the problem and care enough to assist in a way that recognizes and respects their preferences builds closeness and trust. 
Misattunement and conflict can happen in healthy relationships. Getting yourselves in alignment when it comes to support takes trial and error. You may miss the mark before showing up in a way that genuinely helps, and that's okay. Communicating about how these bids for support go awry gives you and your partner the chance to practice the vital relationship habit of finding your way back from mismatch to connection. Again, Dave Smolin, Ph.D., a research psychologist and community faculty at Metropolitan State University. I'm your partner, and I'm here to help. Psychology Today, February of 2023. So, I do want this patient to attempt to reconcile with her significant other, her partner. Uh, I do believe it's gotten to the point where she doesn't think that's possible. And it's not my job to tell her to stay or to go. It's not. I have to respect her decision making and how she's gotten there. But it is my job to point out that I'm not sure she's been empirically sound or the research model, if I could call it that, what's brought her to either the conclusion or the theory that she started with that she is sort of testing in this relationship was all that well to put together to begin with. It was based on a really flawed and failed relationship between her mom and her dad as a child. It was also constructed of possibly their own issues at communicating and working together and defining even the types of support they would want for each other. And it got to the point where it was no longer a matter of believing that the partner wanted to help. We call that positive regard to the place where they saw each other as enemies. And I'm not entirely sure there was a case made for anything but irreconcilable differences, but I'm sure the perspective was, we can't get along and the other person doesn't like me. They really don't want to help me. It seems like all they want to do is wear me out. They want to exhaust me emotionally. (laughs) They bring me to a point where I do things to myself that aren't healthy. I can't even be assertive with them. I feel awful. I feel guilty. I feel like a failure. That can't be good. can't be good intention in that. And if I ask them to change or try to suggest ways to change, if I might be able to even get those thoughts put into words and then the words out of my mouth, they don't seem to be all that receptive. They can't hear it. Possibly so because they too have lost belief or confidence that the other person really wants to help, that really at this point... They just want to destroy them. (laughs) In defense, maybe they're angry. They just want to express their anger. They want to vent. Maybe they've given up on that relationship and the hope of any support. Uh, Use the word love, being there. Maybe they've just given up on support in general or love in general. Or maybe you're the third of, of... Three relationships that have gone awry, and the first two were no better. Um, Maybe you're the third of 15, and there's 12 more to go that won't turn out any better. And all I'm trying to say is, somewhere along the way, whether you reconcile with your partner or you reconcile with yourself, if your premise, your initial theory on relationships, what it's to look like, the model, what you were socialized to, the supports... And even so, possibly secondarily, representative of how you cope with that is unhealthy with the food and the emotional comfort food supplies, or even the fact that we really don't talk about these things. We just try to move on. We may feel guilty and Maybe we stay a lot longer than we should. Maybe we get to the point where we almost breathe our last breath before we get out uh, to catch another breath or a breath of some fresh air so we can move on with our life. There's just a lot of casualty that goes into that. And maybe it all begins with, I think, what the article's trying to capture. Do people really ever sit down and kind of discuss what they want? Now, I I 
I have to make it a matter of my business because I'm supposed to be helpful. And I'm not only supposed to be helpful with particular individuals, I would want to be helpful with as many as possible. And if I'm really good at what I do, I should be able to recognize what my patient is asking for and be able to supply it. I do not believe this particular point with this particular patient, giving specific advice is going to help. You might say, well, all they needed was somebody to give them permission, and maybe that's true, but I don't want to necessarily wrongly build a case against the other partner, especially without their input. I mentioned that earlier. I'd like to have that person come in. I'd like to see the two of them interact, work together. But should it be that that is not possible, and I'm only left then with the one perspective, that of my patient, the identified patient, so to speak, the one that comes in to see me, I'm still not going to necessarily override or call into question the conclusions they've come to. But I should, I believe, at least be able to understand what they're looking for from me. And though it may be one or all three of these types of support, because I'm kind of in that role, I believe, I offer emotional support, concern, empathy, love, and encouragement. I offer tangible sort support. I want to help with whatever the presenting problem is. And with that, I want to share a lot of information. Hopefully, evidence-based, researched, sound, empirically sound, comes out of Years of education and study, continuing education, certifications, establishing that I know what I know, that you would have confidence and trust. But if I could do that across all three of those domains as the article might present it, though I'm not that kind of partner that you're living with me for the sake of the moment that we're in and without then me putting any of personal dimension into the exchange, I want to do all I can to meet that individual, my patient, where they are, and I will. But the complexity of this is if I get into too much emotional support to the exclusion of looking at the facts, then I'm not going to be able to suggest any of the things that I've been suggesting on the podcast, that there's some dysfunction in the family of origin, the patient's that they may be operating off of a prejudice or bias that may not be factual. It could be factual in the sense it happened, but the interpretation, the theory that underlies why it did or never has been really rightly evaluated, analyzed. They could be <laughs> seeing their significant other, this person seeing her significant other as just like her dad. Or with that, then she may look at me, even though I might in some sort of real superficial sort of dimension as being a man, a male, and that may be important to her, the gender issue of it. She may project on me a lot of the same things, and that might be a liability. I might try to lead with emotional compassion and support and try to ground her there and then bring these other components into it, the informational uh, maybe even once we make a decision, she says, well, even with all of that taken into consideration, if I could get to the point where I could present all this that I've presented on the podcast today to her in a way that we were pretty satisfied, she's seeing this in some sort of objective way with a little bit of a modification. She may still come, theory, may come to the conclusion this relationship is over. There's nothing I can do. And I really don't want to bring him in because it's just muddy the water. But she's still got a lot of that stuff going on inside of her. How do I know that? Because she's still using food as an emotional support. She's not addressing that properly. And so I could say, okay, then maybe you do need to extract yourself from the additional demands of the relationship, his problems, or how the relationship has kind of polarized the two of you. One triggered each other. <laughs> One's asking for and then asking for. The other is not capable and then feeling incapable is asking for. And maybe their way of supporting is, as the article would suggest, 
different enough that they maybe don't lead with that. Maybe nobody has sat down with them, such as I'm sitting down with the patient, giving them a chance to see it objectively and even point out. Maybe you're in your own head so much you're not really seeing these other aspects, other factors, other ways to support, and maybe we could work on that a bit. But it may not be all the other person, and even if we then remove them and take that burden off of my patient, my patient still has a flawed or dysfunctional idea, maybe even so reinforced now, <laughs> proven to be relationships suck. <laughs> Terrible. The, you can't win. There's no way to get. They're maybe even in their hurt, more fortified. They're more convinced, convicted. Um, nobody understands me. Relationships don't work. I can't open up to another person. I can't even open up to myself because of the can of worms that that represents and all of these things coming up and coming out and I'm going to be emotionally overloaded. Now, of course, I want to then at that point encourage them and say, but that's why I'm here. I'm here to support you. And yes, we can look at these emotions, but emotions are only one part of overall processing. You know, everybody has feelings and they're a good read. It's important. But until you get to the facts and the data, or if you're going to really analyze it, you have to get past your initial fight or flight, emotional reactions, anxiety, besides food as a compensation. Could be anything else. I mean, something else. Anything else, I suppose. Could be alcohol. Could be drugs. Could be any form of escapism or distractibility. But we have to somehow get past the emotions. And even so, that with thought, anything that asks the individual to begin to examine whatever is in the closet that's been stuffed, all the compartmentalization over all of the years of stowing all of these really upsetting and scary feelings away so one doesn't have to deal with them that has then played itself out in this third if it is the third or of three or 15 that has come out uh, it all goes back to at least some ground zero effect of saying we have to acknowledge your premise your theory might be wrong and this is why I don't know that we have to go back and rehash all of that any more than to say you have to be open to considering whatever you've brought forth isn't working and it seems to be doing nothing but replicating a pattern that in positive regard and great hope that you might have found a person that could love you and you could spend the rest of your life with materially in that love and the support that that represents and that really, if they're your partner, they are indeed a friend. They're to help, not your enemy. There's a lot to be said for that as far as adapting and getting through life. And most of us enter into relationships of this type because we want that. And should that individual, my patient, any individual, but my patient in this case, want to have kids... We want the family circumstance to be the best it can be and not end in divorce or irreconcilable differences. To be a bit more than just transactional or transitory. To be a bit more than just, well, we had a great idea here, but you're really not the one. I just need to go out and find. No, you're not going to likely find the one because you're distorted. You're still looking for an ideal you're finding what you had, no matter how far back we go as far as origin of it all, childhood or the last two relationships. And then with that, maybe we need to change what you're looking for. But the only way we can do that is to change the paradigm inside of you. Now that's cognition, that's thought, that's theory. And all these things do correlate, and 
even with the problem with food. It's not going to go away until you come up with a solution to the real problem because it's a way of coping. And if I ask you to give that up, you'll just come up with something else if you still can't effectually learn from, grow from the feedback. But we have to provide and supply feedback. And therein is a bit of the challenge. It'll be a bit slow. It'll be with some caution on my part, trepidation. It will be with continued affirmation of unconditional regard, support. I'm here to help. And though I'm not your significant other, nor do I want to be confused with them, I could be better than that in that I don't bring anything of my own personal wants into the situation other than I'm there to help. And I do want that, but that's a good thing, right? If I don't want to help you, you don't want to talk to me. If I'm not going to be appreciative of all that's gone into making you who you are, if I'm not also going to respect ultimately your choice, your decision, you that's really not good. You, I'm not sure you really want that person helping you. So I will have some concerns in a personal way because I believe in all those things. Those are ethical considerations, but they're also value statements. And with integrity, I practice what I preach. At least I try to. But outside of that, once you begin to believe me that I'm not there to harm you, but there to really genuinely help and that I may have information that you don't have access to just because it's been so insidious that you've never got a chance to see it otherwise or maybe out of some defensiveness you've not wanted to look at it denial maybe out of this is the third (laughs) failed experiences that's only done nothing but reinforce not only the sense of failure it's never going to get better but Maybe a bit of hopelessness. Helplessness, it's not going to get better. Hopelessness, it's not going to get better. And we've got to at least inspire some degree of motive, positivity, hope, that we can find an answer or most people are going to be inclined in hopelessness and hopelessness to be ever moving toward giving up. I'm not going to do this. This is not worth it. Or trying to modify their expectations which is really not the answer either. They're not failed. Their desire for love isn't wrong. It's just the model, what they learned, what's been institutionalized, what's been kind of put into some place of being frozen or them being frozen in it or has been sort of put into that place of, of not allowing them to, out of fear, try something different even to talk about these levels of support, different types of support, domains of support, is going to then run the risk of bringing up what you didn't have. Um, That's a lot to put on a relationship. And the idea that you're probably not going to connect with someone else who's already got it all figured out, they're going to be likely more to connect with people who are in that same way similar to them at in terms of maturity, at levels of maturity and experience, you're likely going to approach someone who's closer to you in experience and paradigm and model. And that's not bad. There's a lot of resource in there to learn together, to work on this together. They just, a couple like that, you just, my patient just, should her significant other become a part of the experience being there and working through this and therapy, uh, they can then really understand how to help. And I can guide them if I can establish the same degree of trust with both partners to take a serious look at how both might have flawed paradigms in theory that may actually, more than being different, may actually look an awful lot alike, but be connected. The true correlation between all three of those things she presented when she came to see me is that 
they're all connected, but she can't see that they're all connected in that it's her childhood experiences she's replicating, living out. And likely her significant other has something similar. They're just playing both sides of that connection, dynamic of connection. And with that, somebody who's emotional, you would think all you need to do is tell them what to do. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in therapy, is what I'm trying to say. I can't do that. It's more complex than that. But it doesn't work that way in relationship, although it seems like that's the easiest thing to do. But it also doesn't work to get somebody who's just going to indulge your emotions and your feelings without challenging you, because then you don't gain anything, and likely they're going to be like you, run the risk of burnout, imbalance, Maybe it gets the point of feeling like the other person is just taking from you rather than giving, that they're too dependent upon you and you've got to fix everything for them. You may want to, in some aspirational way, try to fix their emotional problems like you can't fix your own with all these great answers, either in some informational dynamic or some sort of tangible doing it sort of way. But except that we would really get to the bottom of who we are, including the emotions and working past them, none of this intellectual or higher ordered stuff of information or even tangible solutions is going to stick because the emotions are now predominant. They're resistant to facing those things. And the moment you suggest it just genders more, triggers more of those emotional reactions of avoidance. And with that, looking for a quick answer, immediate answer, maybe not quick, but immediate answer. I want to feel good now. I just need something, food, whatever to make me feel good now. But in a therapeutic environment, psychotherapeutic environment, coming together, I can assist with that and probably will suggest in that same way, both of them take not only a look at the parallels, but how in some ways they've come to complement each other, but it's not in a healthy way. And it doesn't provide the validation on an emotional level. It doesn't provide the support in that emotional sort of way that allows them to move forward with it. It just sounds like a bunch of advice, good solutions. And even for me, I don't get away with that. I can give advice. Some people really come in and that's all they want. They don't want to do the deep dive into all these feelings. And they certainly don't want to talk about all the dysfunction because they're not there yet. And sometimes by default, I have to say, okay, ultimately it's your decision. I'm going to respect that. And it's your choice whether you want to get this. So I'll offer you whatever I can in whatever way you can receive it, which limits what I can give you. And then hopefully it will help some. But I'm also in some prognostic sort of dimension or predictive sort of dimension going to say if you continue to operate off such a failed theory or model, you're going to continue to get more of the same. But don't take that as you're a failure. Maybe it's just your model has failed. Maybe the desire for love isn't a wrong one or that there's no one out there who could love you. Maybe that isn't true. Maybe it's just you need to understand a bit more about what gets in the way of that. Or even to want somebody to think you're the greatest thing in the world. To have unconditional positive regard for you. There's always some condition. You have to be in a place to understand what that is and receive it. Or it's going to happen again. And for me, what that often means is, okay, I'm quite willing to... Agree if that's the level of agreement that I'm sort of forced to abide in. I'm okay with that. With this idea in mind, when you get to a point where it's, you need me again, come back and see me. Hopefully you'll be a bit more amenable, open to some of the feedback, and maybe we'll pick it up at the same point and kind of try to move it forward. Maybe it's a lifetime project. I don't know that I want to say everyone that receives psychological counseling or comes to see someone like me has to be in it for a lifetime, but 
if it's a personality, if it's got into your personality dimension, if it's just not situation circumstantially based, if it has to do with how you cope and what you believe, it's personality is adaptive. It stabilizes us in a very chaotic and ever-changing world, rapidly changing world. But it can also be, in a predictive sort of way, capable of leading us to self-destruction. Change is supposed to be a bit difficult, but we have to make sure whatever we then offer as a mechanism of change includes not only confidence, that the pursuit, the study, the feedback is worth taking a look at. I guess secondary to that, change is possible because there's always going to be support while you're going through the change, but that we're trying to make it empirically sound, reality-based, as objective, through an as objective a lens as possible. But If I do my job well in that way and you trust me to do that, then that's probably your best assurance. Maybe it'll be something we can do of somewhat short order. Most likely this personality will take a while. It may take several encounters like therapy. But you know, if if you're not going to come back and see a therapist, at least if we could get reconciliation, all these things operating in your relationship with your significant other, your partner, your husband, your wife, whatever you might want to call them, however you would want to describe them to be, then you guys can do a lot of that stuff for each other. It just has to be within this sort of mindset, (laughs) within this sort of sound research model. It's called science. I don't know what else to put on it. I, I think most of us would not disagree with the premise of science and, and empiricism with sound hypothetical deductive reasoning within that sort of model of a sound research model. If we can hold fast to that and we both agree upon that, you may occasionally need somebody to help both of you get out of your, again, your own head and see it more objectively. But if you could begin to do that and even learn how to step outside of yourself subjectively to get that glimpse, maybe it's through the other person, maybe it's through you, maybe it's just a partnership. Oh, well, let's put on the science hat. <laughs> let's apply the research methodology that we learned in school. We were educated, was the highest order of human thought. So that we could be adaptive in the best of ways. We could use the tangible evidence. We can kind of identify without too much punishment or criticism and punishment. Uh, rejection. <laughs> Guilt even. Getting back to that notion that this patient that I began with as explaining on the podcast today. Describing uh, the guilt. Let's at least agree to not let those things predominate. Let's take a serious look at this. And maybe we'll need help from others. And can't do it all ourselves, but we can do a lot of ourselves. And then we'll reserve that additional time with my friendly neighborhood psychological counselor. <laughs> As uh, something that occasionally is needed, but it doesn't have to be all the time. But in that same sort of way, yet in that same sort of way, The podcast does that. I bring this information, this perspective, because I just want to encourage that, support that, build up that. Some of you who listen, hopefully, are well-educated and experienced and maybe just need a reminder of it or maybe just need to be encouraged. Yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Some of you may not know it. Some of you may not have had the same opportunities to be educated in that way. And I'm not talking about degrees even. I'm just saying should be culturally our standard, but it isn't. We all know that. People still live in prejudice and bias and don't really, they may even be somewhat hypocritical. They may say, well, I see it in you, but I'm not going to see it in me. Or you're asking me to apply the same thing I'm applying to you to me. And ah, I can't do that. Or they're scared of that. But To hold somebody accountable, I think it's either individually so, which makes it even more difficult as with, again, complicated, as with 
some of the premise of the podcast today. But if we have it more culturally and we can all abide in it, we can all grip on it, it's an easier thing to accomplish. And it really should be what our educational systems are about. If we have any socialization process in place that's universal and uniform and we choose to do that through our education system, then at least let it be empirically sound and let the people who are doing it at least occasionally check themselves to make sure they're not bringing bias into it and selling it as fact, as truth. Or even if it's fact, interpreting it as truth, there really isn't. Or it may be something that could be identified as truth, but maybe we need other perspectives, just like, again, in this example I've given today on the podcast. Maybe we need to bring in other perspectives. It'll help. We've all got a problem with subjectivity. That's why we have to hold science out in the way we have to and why we've graduated to, hopefully, in terms of highest order of human intellect or thought, a paradigm that looks something like that regardless of where you're coming from or what you're applying it to. The podcast is intentioned to hold to that level of standard or highest level of standard. I want to do that because it's the right thing to do. Again, it's a value statement, but it's the same thing you get if you came to see me individually. I'm still going to be operating out of this science model. What I've learned, the research model, evidence, show me, test the theory, or continue to test the theory. Don't be dismissive of precedence. Just see what precedence has led us to. And if we're going to be led to even maybe further refinement of it in whatever way, let's not just pretend it away what we've done. Let's make sure we keep it grounded so we don't get too far out there and become too radical and dismiss something that otherwise, with time, has proven itself to be pretty sound. Data. The world is not flat, folks. It's round. We know that. So with that thought in mind, of course, I always would want to invite you back to the next podcast edition of Word with Dave Clay, where we'll continue to take a look at such articles as I'm your partner and I'm here to help you by Dave Smallin, Ph.D. in Psychology Today, February 2023 edition, but I'll continue to offer my best application of that data, how I could see it fitting, and hopefully it will help you. But, and so, between now and then, I do want to wish you the best. Not only in terms of, again, your how this may all help you adapt, in terms of quantity of your life, the physical aspects, but also I really do want you to be healthy (laughs) in those behavioral health sorts of terms. Don't be self-destructive. Like yourself, like the people around you. Enjoy your life. Until then.